Good evening. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. We've been up for a while. Uh, we're back on this election Tuesday. Today we'll talk about uh, elections in Ohio, Virginia, Mississippi, and I think Kentucky. Yeah, there you go. And also, uh, have you seen the polls? Why is why are no why is Biden down on the polls? Who are they asking? And is Trump a cloud chaser? But we're going to start tonight with paying homage to Matthew Perry. He passed away recently, so he is one of the favorite characters on on Friends. So we'll get it started with Matthew Perry. That is our tribute to Matthew Perry. Um, yeah, you do work for yourself. Uh, this that was Matthew Perry. Um, this is the Ninja Color like, Pod. Oh, oops, sorry. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Uh, our mission is to bring common sense to all the nut craziness that's happening inside and outside of politics. Uh, we are available on Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora. Yes, we're still working on getting a Apple, um, Apple, damn, what's the word I'm looking for? Apple ID, there you go. Yes, we would first like to thank our listeners in Ashburn, Virginia, Brussels, Belgium, Norcross, Georgia, Corona, California, Independence, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, California, San Diego, California, Santiago, Chile, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Peru. I guess that's in Mexico. We appreciate you listening to us, downloading, tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, first, uh, we're going to start with the results of, I guess, Kentucky? There you go. Of Kentucky, Steve Kornacki is still at the big board. Steve Detroitist. Yeah, our decision desk has now made it official, and they are comfortable declaring that Andy Bashir, the Democratic incumbent governor of Kentucky, has been re-elected. But he will defeat his Republican challenger in the state. He's sitting attorney general, Daniel Cameron. Uh, we've been, uh, no surprise, if you've been watching all night, we've been seeing county after county come in in Kentucky with Bashir running ahead of how he ran in 2019. Not by leaps and bounds, but by several points, just county after county. The pattern very clear at this point is to say he ran by less than one point four years ago. He had a very high approval rate. Tragic Bashir votes a few of those came in just a little while ago. 
trying to put connect Bashir to Biden but the question is was that a good strategy did that work did that work did he win because of his popularity or did he win because of because of his What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, did did uh, one, two, three? Did they cut? Do they credit um, Biden in any way for that victory, or that's just Bashir? That's the one thing I don't understand. Uh, because according to polling. If whoever wins the governorship in Kentucky, it goes for the president. So the last five cycles, if a Republican wins a Republican president, um, when Obama was in office, it was two Democratic, two Democratic governors. When Trump was in office, one Democratic, one Republican governor, and now Biden won in twenty twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. Now going twenty four. Yeah, so twenty twenty four. It looks good for um um Biden, I guess. Okay. The next big thing for the night was weed and weed and um abortion in Ohio. Let's see what happens. It's just made a crown in Ohio on issue one, and we project that it will pass. Yes, on issue one will pass, putting the right to abortion in the state constitution in Ohio with a provision that restrictions can be applied at the point of fetal viability about 22, 24 weeks. But you can see right now we've got more than a third of the vote in here 
Jordan Ohio on this. He is leading. Yes, he's leading by about 17 points right now. And as I was just showing folks on Chris's show a few minutes ago, what's happening now is uh, counties are reporting are getting close to hitting 100% of their vote. And what we're seeing is there was this test vote this summer where opponents of this try to put language on the ballot that they said he raised the threshold to 60%. For a constitutional amendment to attempt but to defeat this, that went down to defeat this summer, and we're seeing in every county that's completed, we're seeing results that are basically a mirror image of this summer. Uh, the folks who are against raising the threshold this summer are voting for this tonight in basically equal numbers to complete counties. But this summer, by proposal to raise the threshold past 5743, this thing is right now on track to land right in that territory. So that's the NBC News projection that this is going to carry. And you can see based on the completed counties we've had so far, uh, it, it could be better. I put it back there. There is a lot of, um, shall we say, made misdirection from the part of Republicans in the state who changed some of the language uh, in this amendment and on the actual ballot. The, the language that will be enshrined in the state's constitution is not what voters actually voted on tonight, I believe. Abortions up until birth on the way. 
what it does do is allow for abortions until around the 23rd week of pregnancy, and then after that, it allows for the health of the mother to be taken into account. Issue one ensures that if a doctor believes that an abortion is necessary to save the life or the health of the mother, even late in the pregnancy, that the doctor can legally perform an abortion. Now, there was a lot of discussion tonight about what might happen if issue one failed because the Republican majority on Ohio Supreme Court could have reinstated a temporarily frozen six-week abortion ban that has no exceptions for rape or incest. We do not think that will supersede what has happened tonight. Okay, kids, got a question. How do you feel about abortion? Do you feel that the government should have rights in this case, or it should be up to the woman? In Ohio, they voted to have the rights back in the Constitution because Roe versus Way was overturned. So, how do you feel about uh about um, abortion. Should it be in the Constitution? Should it be uh, a legal, should it be legal for all 50 states federally? All right, moving on. Let's talk about polling. This crazy thing I don't understand about polls is why is Biden losing to a dude who's up for fraud, a clout chaser, uh, he gave away secrets, and he doesn't like poor people. I don't understand. How is he losing to something like that? All right, check this out. First saying about this job, President Biden has done as president. Jake, the country has soured on Joe Biden. There's just not another way to put it. According to our latest CNN poll conducted by SSRSA, national poll, and gives us this snapshot of time. Biden's approval rating is 39% poll, 61% disapprove of the job. So we look at it by party, you see that even among his fellow Democrats, he's only at 77% approval of his party, only a third independents approve the job he's doing, and of course, as you might imagine, only 5% of Republicans. How are things going in the country today? Uh, badly, say nearly three-quarters of respondents in this poll, 72%. Things are going badly in the country today. Only 28% say they're going well. Again, that astonishing number. Another uh, amount back as the stamina and sharpness to serve effectively as president. Only 25% of poll respondents say that he does have stamina. 74% say no. And I know you're a history buff, like I am. So look here on this chart of where Biden's modern predecessor were in their recuperating. At this point in their presidency, and Jake, you see, Biden is down there between Donald Trump and Jimmy Carter. That is down to the category of one term presidents. He clearly wants to turn that around, and he's got a good reason. All right, thanks so much. All right, so let's talk through some of this. David Axelrod, let's start with where David Chowley just finished. Uh, the territory of one-term presidents, um, going back to Jimmy Carter, um, Jimmy Carter was a 32% vice president. Okay, but that's about as I'm going to say this, whether it's fair or not, Joe Biden 
Did you know we fought with the Lake? The presence of which people on jobs and some other measures has done quite well. Despite all that, those facts, he and maybe no incumbent president at this juncture is going to win a referendum. He has to frame the choice, he has to frame it aggressively, he has to frame it rapidly. Because if nothing else, these are these are flashed red light. So, Dave went through independence, and I just want to say overall, of course, right now, people going towards Republicans who are taking away their rights, taking away your parental rights, they're taking away Social Security, they're taking away Medicare and Medicaid. 
you're voting for a party that is taking stuff away from you. Please. People between 18 and 35, please let me know if I'm not going crazy. Why are you supporting someone who's going to take something away from you that is not being progressive, they're being stagnant? Is it, you think it's, you think that that old Republican thing is that they're spending money? Yes. The biggest, the biggest people who are benefiting from working class money is rich people. They get a tax cut. Uh, if the Democrats win back the House, Senate, and the White House, they'll go after the, the what's his name? Uh, the new um, House Speaker put a bill on the floor to help Israel, but it takes money away from the IRS to go after those people who cheat taxes. So you're voting for someone who will enable rich people, but you're not rich. So please let me know. Uh, uh, I have no idea. Also, I didn't even know there was a race in Rhode Island. Check us out. And I'm Shannon Peggy, WPRI, now calling Gabe Amo, the projected winner of the total so far, right there at the bottom of your screen. An historic night as Amo becomes the first person of color to represent Rhode Island in Congress. Let's send things out to 12 News Politics Senator Tiffany Singer's live in Pawtucket at Gabe Amo's headquarters. Well, Mike and Shannon, they are just taking your shot right now. I think this room is about to explode with excitement when they hear you announce that Gabe Rama has won the Rhode Island First Congressional District Special Election. He is the first time candidate, 35 years old. He's now headed to Washington as a member of the U.S. Congress. Now that the Senate of West Africa will be the first person of color to serve in the House. First person of color to go into go into um, the house. So that's kind of good, I think. I have no idea. Is it good? All right. Moving on. Moving on to um. Uh, moving on to uh, yeah, Wells Fargo and did you have a Wells Fargo account that was um or a Bank of America account that didn't get your deposit? I didn't get my deposit, but I think I got it today. But uh, check this out. I woke up this morning and I went to check my mobile banking app and to my surprise we were still at it and we're still at Receiving their direct deposits. 
Was it a, an attack? I don't know, but I'm not into conspiracy theories, but my bank account was just my one bank account, which is Bank of America. Um, uh, I don't know if that was a cyber attack, but hey, I just wanted to get it out there. But he's going through some personal issues, so I'll take it at a grain of salt. All right, moving on to... What is secular? Check this out. Which religion should rule us all? Very combative. Check it out. Where just a short time ago, Donald Trump's testimony went from combative to, in the words of our NBC News producer, inside the courtroom, completely out of control. The former president ranting on the witness stand, attacking the judge for finding him guilty of committing fraud, saying, quote, the fraud is on the court, not me. It follows several hours of repeated clashes, not just between the former president and prosecutors, but between Trump and the judge, who's been trying to keep things out of track. Judge Ed Byrne has repeatedly warned Trump not to go off on tangents. He grew so frustrated, he called on Trump's attorney to control the former president, warning him this is not a political rally, and then later, besieging him to control Trump. In corporate moments, Trump has argued his assets were actually vastly undervalued by accountants. In the case of Donald Trump, insisting 
It's as much as 100 times more valuable than the $28 million estimate. The judge has already ruled Trump and his family committed fraud. This is about what kind of penalties they might face, including whether the Trumps will be barred from ever running a company in New York again. Joining me now, Sue investigative reporter for the New York Times, who has been in the courtroom today, along with MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin, who also just left the court. Carol is a national investigative reporter for the Washington Post and co-author of the book, A Very Stable Genius. She is an MSNBC contributor. So Lisa, you literally just ran out of court. This sounds almost unlike anything I've heard coming together in a courtroom, or I should say perhaps falling apart. What happens in there? We need to choose a new leader in the Trump car. We'll choose a new Trump car future. But I think what happened in there is what I and others thought we actually predicted what happened, which is what happens when Trump's rants outside the courtroom, sitting in the inside the rooms, and testimony that the Attorney General is trying to elicit inside Judge Arthur's court. And indeed, that has happened. So Trump, when faced with the question he does not like, one that usually calls for a yes or no answer, repeatedly digresses to talk first about the insanely high value of his assets, and then over time it has progressively morphed into more angry rants about the judge himself, about the attorney general, about the disclaimers in his financial statements that he calls themselves worthless. And Chris, you're right to say I'm really flabbergasted right now. I've never seen anything like this in all my time of being a lawyer. Trump even proceeded at one point to take a piece of paper out of his pocket to page from one of his statements of financial condition. But talk about what his personal responsibilities were. May I ask you if you can read from that? Entitled to arrive 
and attacks the members that we surrounded ourselves with. But that's not Donald Trump's defense at all. Donald Trump's defense seems to be, irrespective of the year of the statement of financial condition that we're talking about, the property in question was invariably worth more than was listed in the statement of financial condition. So there was no overvaluation. If there was, it wasn't material given the whole panoply of those assets. And even if there was material overvaluation, it was an error. It was a mistake. And this judge who doesn't know him labeled him a fraud without correctly ascertaining what his intent was. So every time he goes off on one of these long tangents and the attorney general or the judge objects, Chris Cox is up in his feet saying, essentially, you're going to let this spot off because this really goes to the heart of the case, which is about really what we're doing here. It's not just about the remedies and the damages, but the attorney general has six more claims in addition to the one on which they want summary judgment. Each of those claims require proof of intent by the individual defendants and the Trump entities themselves. So they are trying to show that Donald Trump not only was involved in the valuation problems here, but that he intended for them to happen. He was directly involved in them. He approved and signed off on them. And if he didn't, that wasn't just negligent on his part. That was outright recklessness. All right. That's going to take a long ass time. I still think he's guilty and he's a clout chaser. He's doing this just for cloutonism and who knows. Um, yeah, because I have no idea what is he trying to do. But we're going to listen to David Packin. Check it out. Yesterday's disastrous testimony by Donald Trump in court, we heard both from the uh, prosecutor, Letitia James, as well as Trump's hilarious attorney, Alina Habba. Now, I'm going to play some of Alina Habba's statements to you, uh, statements made to the press. I'm going to play them for you. One of the really important things to understand is that Alina Habba is making these statements outside of the courtroom rather than inside the courtroom in a place where uh, she is much safer to make them. Uh, important dimension, and uh, here is what she had to say. It doesn't matter what your politics are. Everyone has a right in this country to get up and put a defense. I don't care who you are. You have a right to hire a lawyer who can put objections on the record. You have a right to hire a lawyer who can stand up and say something when they see something wrong. But I was told to sit down today. I was yelled at. And I've had a judge who's unhinged slamming a taper. Let me be very clear. I don't tolerate that in my life. I'm not going to tolerate it for her. Uh, well, she seems to not understand how courtrooms work. And it's sort of a weird comment because judges tell lawyers to sit down all the time. Lawyers often stand to make objections. And judges frequently, I mean, it's not so super hard, but judges then get tired of objections or repetitive objections about the same thing or judges say, I've already made it, I've already ruled on that. Please sit down. Please sit down is so common in courtrooms. But it's almost like she's trying to make herself out to be victim, which is what Trump tries to make himself out to be and what Alina Habba tries to make Trump out to be. She's really losing her mind in an incredibly unprofessional way. And remember, she's not saying this stuff inside the courtroom. She's saying it outside of the courtroom, on television. She, as we have said before, is far better suited to be a television lawyer than an actual lawyer, as are many of Trump's lawyers, because they have all sorts of different talking points that might sound good on TV. But they are people arguments, and Alina Haber is certainly representative of that. Uh, we also heard uh, other things from Alina Haber. Let's take a listen. I'm not here to hear what he has to say. That was about the facts. We are now looking beyond that in this part of the trial. 
She's a lawyer and she knows this. I know she's pretending that this is different. She's not actually this stuff. I'm confident that she actually knows this. But she's, again, acting as though the fact that this is a bench trial and that's how it works is somehow fundamentally unfair to Donald Trump. This is really for those who don't know any better. The audience is people who don't know any better. Political and partisan actors. I'm not here to hear what he has to say. But why exactly am I being paid as an attorney and why exactly are taxpayer dollars being used in this courtroom? The answer is very clear. Because Miss James wants to stand right here like she did this morning and call my client a liar. Call the company fraudulent and make a name for herself. She said this morning that the numbers don't lie and they won't lie in this case. Well, Miss James, I have a message for you. The numbers didn't lie when you ran for governor, and that's why you dropped out. <laughs> so, again, a totally bogus, fallacious argument. Any prosecution you bring must be invalid because you lost a political race. I mean, what does that mean? It's, it's, it's just not an argument, and this is the level around which these folks are thinking. So, after the testimony, we did hear from the prosecutor, the attorney general, and the testimony. Uh, very different approach, measured, sober, and calm. Let's listen to what she had to say. Experience Trump before communism, but life changing before. Donald Trump, in our case against him, other defendants, and the Trump organization. He rambled for a crowd of insults uh, that we expected that. At the end of the day, um, the documentary evidence demonstrated that in fact he falsely inflated his assets to basically enrich himself and his family. He continued to persistently engage in fraud. Uh, the numbers don't lie. Mr. Trump obviously can engage in all of these distractions and that part of his wealthy. and gentlemen that was David Package talking about Trump and his defense he's already found guilty but you never know you never know people fail upwards very easily and this has been this has been, um, what has this been? This has been, um, Common Sense Party Podcast. 
we are available so you can get uh, the common sense of this crazy, this crazy world. We talked about Rhode Island, talked about Trump, talked about abortion, talked about weed, talked about Kentucky. And we thank all the people who listen to us. We thank you for listening to us. We are available on Amazon, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us five stars, rate and review. And we will leave tonight with tribute to Matthew Perry. Welcome to Miss Mojo. We've put together some videos to remember Matthew Perry's ability to make us laugh, but more importantly, times that he helped make Chandler just as much a friend to us. Afraid to ask him? Could not be more terrifying? <laughs> well, I think you should seriously consider the marriage thing. Give Rachel another chance to dress up like Princess Bubba. Welcome to Miss Mojo. And today, we're counting down our picks for times Chandler was the one we could depend on for a hysterical, yet brutal, sarcastic comment. Okay, I was wrong. That's what they used to call
Number seven, bulky.